WHMP. And this is another beautiful day, and uh, there's a lot of terrific stuff going on. I just want to forecast it in the second half of our uh, hour. We will be talking with Jackie Walsh, who has, um, as her guest, two actors in uh, Marvin's Room by the Westfield Theater Group. Tomorrow, we have Mayor Kim Driscoll, as you must know. She's the Democratic nominee who will be running on the ticket with Maura Healy. She'll be running for Lieutenant Governor. This will be her third appearance on the show, and I'm really grateful to have her on the show again. And then we're going to have um, uh, Richie Richardson, the creator of uh, FAB Fab Fashion in Turner's Falls, talking about Fashion Week with Nan Parati. On Thursday, we'll be talking climate with Brian Adams, as we usually do, and jazz with Ruth Griggs, talking about a jazz series in the Blue Room in East Hampton with Carol Abby Smith and Burns Maxey. And on Friday, Max Richman of the Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare will explain why this year's Medicare open enrollment begins with good news. For those who don't know, the largest a cost of living increase in the history of the Medicare program will happen on Thursday the 13th. It's going to be roughly, I, I've read, between 8 and 10%. So for a lot of folks on a fixed income during these difficult financial times, it is a blessing that their Medicare check will be increasing. So hope that you join us uh, uh, throughout the week. You mean Social Today Security, was a right, special Bob? day, Dan. You mean you Social something? Security, right? Say it again. He said Social Security or Medicare check? I meant Social Security. Okay. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Okay. Just uh, making yeah. sure. What would I do without you? I don't know, Buzz. I didn't know Medicare was sending out checks, so I was confused. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but what I, I did want to talk about is the climate today. It was the 11th of October, and um, for, I think, most folks know that uh, to symbolize that we are really in the 11th hour um, with respect to our climate, uh, the insults to our climate. Um, so at uh, on the 11th of every month, beginning in, I think, January of 2019, um, at 11 a.m., on the 11th of every month, bells ring for 11 minutes in houses of faith and other places to demonstrate uh, their support of taking measures to stop um, the terrible uh, tragedy that is uh, climate, uh, our emissions. And similarly, um, there is no better day for us to talk about a new entity that is being created. It's a new organization to support uh, communities, uh, families, and others that are grappling with powerful polluters and some of the worst environmental threats in New England. It is going to be holding a launch party and a fundraiser on Thursday. That's October 13th at 6 p.m. on Zoom. And uh, we are very fortunate today to have the co-director of this new entity, Marie Bajani, with us. Hello, Marie. Hi, Buzz. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure to have you. And I think that this is an important, um, this new environmental health and justice organization, which we'll be launching and which you'll be co-directing. Can you tell us about it? Definitely. So it's called Slingshot. 
And um, it's, as you mentioned, a new environmental justice organization in the Northeast. We uh, work in the six states in the region, so Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. And our mission is to work alongside the communities most impacted by environmental threats to take aim at polluters and build community power. And there are a number of key issues that we will be working on. The big four are energy, waste, water, and toxics. So, you know, in the energy realm, really pushing for a clean energy transition towards renewables, um, overhauling the way our grid system works, uh, moving towards more distributed energy, a more transparent system, a more resilient system, and really centering the communities who are um, going up against energy infrastructure in their backyard in the decisions to shape that new future. And same thing for all those other issues, moving towards zero waste, moving away from water, PFAS water contamination is something that has become, you know, more prevalent in Massachusetts as we've been testing more for it in, in the last um, year or so, and, and other kinds of toxins like lead, um, issues from asphalt quarries, you know, there are so many threats to our health and our future, and a lot of communities that need support in taking on the polluting goliaths in their neighborhoods. The polluting Goliath in the neighborhood. I know that you have been with Community Action Works, Murray, uh, and, and your focus has been environmental and energy justice. Can you tell us what that means? Um, so to me, energy justice and well, environmental justice, I'll start with environmental justice, and that really is um, focusing on the communities who have mo been most impacted, which is really um, Black, Indigenous, people of color, and low-income communities, have borne the brunt of pollution for decades as a result of racist policies and decisions and um, and kind of compounding factors making those communities feel like they have no political power and they have no voice at the table. And as a result, this polluting facilities get placed in those kinds of neighborhoods over and over again. For example, Springfield, right here in Western Mass, was until recently the asthma capital of the US. And one in five children in Springfield has asthma. That's a direct result of the polluting legacy of the region and facilities like incinerators and power plants being cited in those communities. So environmental justice is centering those residents in the decisions that get made and acknowledging that the burdens are disproportionately spread across our across our, our state and the ones who bear the biggest burden are the ones who have who should have the biggest say in where we go from here and energy justice is kind of similar it's you know our energy system affects different communities um, in various ways some communities more some communities like in peabody massachusetts already have two polluting peaking power plants that burn natural gas and they're now building a third one on the same site as those two existing ones so taking that into account making sure we're evaluating those cumulative impacts of our systems we talked about that peaker power plant before it's called a peaker plant because when the, the demand is peaking this thing kicks in and it and it is, uses natural gas which you described Mm -hmm. For us, last time we talked, this pure methane, it's a horrible polluter um, and a emitter into our, and it just exacerbates the problems that we're having uh, with the degradation of our environment. Um, so, 
tell you called the slingshot. Why is it called slingshot? I think of this thing which throws projectiles, but it doesn't use any power to do it other than your arm, right? <laughs> yeah, this is one of my favorite questions, Buzz, around our launch, because I love, I'm so excited about our name. Um, and I think the imagery plays out in a few ways. One is, it's definitely, you know, the most obvious one is, is a reference to David versus Goliath. We are not afraid to go up against the big powers in our current system, whether that's corporations or government power or money in its different forms. We know that um, the odds are not necessarily in our favor when we're supporting these communities on these campaigns, but we're in it. We're in it for the big fight. Um, I think it also demonstrates uh, the scrappiness of our organization. We are creative. We are going up against a system that is designed to exclude and ignore the exact people whose voices we want to be helping to be heard. And so that takes a little bit of, you know, finding the cracks or uh, pushing the boundaries a little bit, being creative, being willing to bend the rules sometimes to assert our, our presence and our voice. And then um, I think it also, that, that idea that you mentioned in terms of propulsion, I, I really like that too, because we're building a movement. We don't want to just be tackling one local campaign at a time. We also want to be shifting the entire status quo across the region and helping individual leaders in their communities take on bigger and bigger change. And so we're, we think of it as kind of propelling our region towards the future that communities envision that they deserve and that they want to turn into a reality. It's rather deep. exciting. We are talking with uh, Noray Bajani. Um, I think I heard, did I hear your voice, Dan? Uh, yes, I had a question. Please. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know, when you talk about working with the communities, uh, uh, communities of color in uh, Massachusetts and, and across the, the region, are you specifically working with orga other organizations? Are you working directly with individual households? Or are you organizing uh, all of the residents into a, a community organization? That is a great question, Dan. And it's really a, a little bit of all of the above. <laughs> it kind of depends on the context. <laughs> um, so in the case of the Peabody Peaker plant that we were touching on before, um, that is an instance where a few residents expressed concern and we helped them, you know, held kind of an introductory meeting to orient them to what was going on. And a bunch of folks turned out and decided to form a group. And now the community group Breathe Clean North Shore exists and is, you know, growing and, and has their own website presence and, and is um, doing the work. And so that's a community group that came out of our organizing. We also, in like I do regional work around our energy grid through the Fix the Grid campaign, and folks who come into that space, some of them are just individuals who are deeply interested in what's going on with our energy grid based on either their professional experience or their personal experience with their own energy bill or a power plant nearby, et cetera. And then we also have really close partners and allies who are other nonprofits, whether that's groups like the Massachusetts Climate um, Cli Massachusetts Climate Action Network or um, uh, in here in Massachusetts. Um, we've got partners in Maine, like Defend Our Health, um, that we work closely with, and folks across you know Vermont and New Hampshire. So a little bit of all of the above, but the individual frontline residents. It's usually grassroots folks, we then help to come together and form a group and run a campaign collectively. 
So, um, Murray, you're talking about this launch on Thursday, this coming Thursday at six o'clock by Zoom. Can you tell us about that and tell people how they can join this launch? Definitely. Well, it's a launch party. We definitely want to emphasize the party part of it. It's a celebration of this new chapter in, um, you know, for our organization and hopefully for the movement. And um, it's going to be an hour long on Zoom and is going to feature a number of the community leaders we work with and our close allies. Um, so one speaker also is going to be Brad Campbell, who's the president of the Conservation Law Foundation. So. Uh, the CLF, as um, their acronym goes, they have been a, a key support throughout this process. They are the fiscal sponsor for Slingshot, which basically means they provide the backend admin admin support for for our work to be possible. And um, we also have Keisha Ram uh, Hinsdale from uh, who's a state senator in Vermont, who's going to be speaking. Jacqueline Velez is a leader here in Western Mass. She's the chair of the Hamden County Commission on the Status of Women and Girls, um, and lots of other leaders from across the region. So we're really excited about it. We're also going to be unveiling our website for the very first time, and folks will have the opportunity to win first edition slingshot swag in the form of tote bags so it's a great opportunity not to miss out on um, and the registration information can be found at uh, online it's a, a bit.ly link so bit.ly slash slingshot dash launch so if you go Maybe to that should do that a little slower some folks yeah. are driving during this <laughs> yeah. a little slower <laughs> so it's bit.ly forward slash slingshot dash launch and that will take you to a page where you can RSVP and you'll get the zoom link and then we'll see you on Thursday. Terrific. We're going to take a break and then we're going to be back with Murray Bajani. We're going to talk more about Slingshot, the new uh, organization which is launching on Thursday uh, focused on environmental justice and saving our precious environment. We'll be back with Murray right after these messages. Do stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. True terror, as Kurt Vonnegut said, is waking up one morning to discover that your high school class is running the country. So, with Monty's help, help? We take on the terror of that thought every morning at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman. Weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. Hi, this is Jessica from Fitness Together. I meet clients every day who tell me that as the number on their scale grew higher, their self-esteem dropped lower, and going to a traditional gym absolutely terrified them. Here at Fitness Together, we'll work with you one-on-one, -on -one, either virtually or in one of our private suites in Amherst or Northampton. We'll help you set and reach your fitness goals, and most importantly, smile every time you look in the mirror. Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. Your self-worth is worth Fitness Together. Today and every day, millions of people do business with co-ops, food co-ops, credit unions, workers' co-ops, energy co-ops, farmers' co-ops. 
Go co-op and build economic power right here in your community. Like the Compost Cooperative, diverting residential and commercial food scraps from the waste stream while building local economic democracy and living wage jobs. TheCompostCooperative.com. October is co-op month. Find more co-ops at the Valley Cooperative Business Association website. This is uh, from Rioja, and this is the Tierra. That means earth. Thank, Thank you. you. I knew my language acquisition <laughs> would come in handy. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. When you compare Spanish wines, Rioja especially, which is kind of like the Bordeaux of Spain, 90% of the time, stuff that you can get for $12, $15, $20 for Rioja is going to rival things that you're going to get for $30, $35 for Bordeaux. The Tierra is still under 20 at $18.99. I mean, give me a break. I know. Yeah. Nose a little dustier on this one. Yeah. And fruity. Almost like a caramel, actually. It's like cherry cola. Oh, yeah, and this is a, is a Crianza. It is a Crianza. Which is a newer, like a fresher Rioja, right? That's true. Not yeah. quite Hoven. Crianza, it, it doesn't involve nearly as much of the barrel aging as a Reserva or Grand Reserva. I love this. Find your favorite wine and your next favorite wine at State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back, those who have been with us. Welcome aboard, those who are just joining us. That sound that you hear is a sound of excitement uh, coming from uh, Murray Bajani, who is the new co-director of the new organization that will be launching on Thursday. We'll talk about how to participate in that Zoom. You too can be helping to promote environmental justice in New England and in this region by uh, participating in the launch of Slingshot, whose mission is to save our planet and to make sure that those communities which are disproportionately impacted by the adverse nature of climate change uh, will be um, treated more fairly. That's the mission. So. You keep talking about we, what we are going to do, Murray. So who's we? <laughs> Great question, Buzz. Uh, we've got an amazing team uh, that I'm so excited to work with. So I am one of our co-executive directors, and my incredible other co-executive director is Dana Callahan, who is based in Portland, Maine, um, and does a lot of work up there uh, with communities around waste and a lot of PFAS water contamination as well. And then we have our Vermont and New Hampshire state director, Haley Jones, and they do a lot of waste work and PFAS contamination um, as well. That's kind of, those are the, the themes across Northern New England. And, and then our senior advisor is Sylvia Brody, who brings over a decade of executive director experience in the movement over 16 years total of working primarily in Massachusetts. She was part of the group, for example, that succeeded in shutting down the Somerset coal plant and transitioning that community to now being a hub for wind power. Um, so we've got a really incredible team and I'm as excited, if not more excited about our advisory board. Um, we bring, you know, um, we're really lucky to have the expertise and guidance of 
13 folks who are either community leaders who have faced the kinds of challenges we continue to work on across the region and so they know what it feels like and looks like firsthand. We have folks who have years of nonprofit governance experience, folks who have legal expertise, etc. Um, so we've got uh, a really strong team that I'm looking forward to growing this organization with. And I know as of yet, you're still young, you don't have a 501c3 designation that takes a long time to get. Um, but I know the Conservation Law Foundation, which many of our listeners may be aware of, uh, does such incredible legal work around um, uh, economic justice, environmental justice, energy justice. They are sponsoring you, right? Yeah, so this is a little bit of the nonprofit wonkiness of it. They, because they are our fiscal sponsor, we are essentially under their tax status. So we qualify as a 501c3 indirectly through them. And contributions to us are tax deductible through the Conservation Law Foundation. We are, you know, a nonprofit essentially indirectly by barring their status until we get our own uh, 501c3 status. Right. For folks who don't know that uh, the IRS. Well, Congress created that uh, possibility because it takes so long to get 501c3 tax exempt status for not for profit organizations um, that uh, they're allowed to piggyback on another willing organization. And in this case, it seems like you have a real sort of committee of interest with the Conservation Law Foundation, you as activists who are going to be working with local individuals, communities, organizations. Um, uh, our great marriage with Conservation Law Foundation, right? Definitely. We are so grateful for their support and so excited for this partnership moving forward. Um, you know, a lot of these issues can be really technical, can have a lot of different facets when you're fighting a pipeline or an incinerator, understanding the ins and outs of the law, in addition to understanding how to build a group and get media attention, all of those pieces are important. And so being able to collaborate really closely with the attorneys at the Conservation Law Foundation to, you know, for us to bring our organizing expertise to the table and for them to bring their legal support is going to be just make it all the more powerful of a combination for communities to get that support. It really is exciting. So um, I, I just I can't let it go because we had a, a, a very illuminating conversation a couple months ago about what's going on in Peabody about that peaker plant that we just uh, alluded to earlier. It was scheduled to open in the summer of 23. I can't remember exactly when. Can you update us? Number one, explain what it is again, in case any listener doesn't know. It's a hugely important issue. And explain why that is and explain what the status is. So the Peabody Peaking Power Plant um, is uh, a new fracked gas power plant being built in an environmental justice community in Peabody, Massachusetts on the North Shore. And uh, it's actually being built on the same site as two existing gas power plants that have been there for decades. Um, and within a mile or two of eight plus other environmental justice neighborhoods. So it's a bad idea for a number of reasons. And it's going to essentially also lock in a number of municipalities who have bought into, you know, getting the power from this power plant. They're going to be locked into this contract for at least 30 years until they pay off essentially the cost of building this facility. 
And in those 30 years, we're going to be continuing to be burning fossil fuels and creating greenhouse gas emissions and also creating pollution for this community that already has high rates of respiratory disease, heart disease, etc. So the latest status is actually there was a, a PhD student from Boston University who conducted a health study over the summer. She looked at census tracts and looked at available health data and found that Peabody has higher rates of a lot of different diseases, whether that's diabetes, COPD, heart, you know, heart issues um, than other communities across the state. So we are further impacting an already vulnerable population. Um, and unfortunately, construction is underway. The last I heard, they had poured the cement foundation for the power plant and they were waiting for that to cure over the last few weeks. And then they'll be building the facility on top of that, that slab of stone. The community is still pushing back briefly North Shore and the 350 North Shore node recently held an action on the Danvers Port Bridge, a die-in where they had folks lie down on the bridge and pretend to die um, and had tombstones um, demonstrating the cause of death of the participants, things like gas explosion or COPD or, you know, asthma or um, any other number of impacts that this facility is going to have on the region. So um, that's the latest on that, and they're still fighting, and they're also fighting to close the existing power plants that have been there for a while to make sure that they retire as soon as possible. Okay, so um, tell us one more time, how can people um, join the conversation, join the launch of Slingshot? The launch party will be on Thursday, October 13th at 6 p.m. on Zoom. And uh, the registration page is online. You can find it at bit.ly forward slash slingshot dash launch. Um, so that's where you'll be able to RSVP and you'll get the Zoom link. And then you'll be able to join us to hear more, to see our brand new website and get a chance to win a Slingshot tote bag. Very exciting. It is great. Thank you for all you do. I'm looking out at some very beautiful and colorful trees. Every one of them saying, thank you, Marae. Thank you, Slingshot. Thanks for all that you do. Thank and you, thanks Buzz. for joining us today. It was our pleasure. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. We're going to be back with Jackie Walsh. We're going to be talking about what's going on in Westfield. There's a theater group down there, Marvin's room, right after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A portion of Route 9 in Hadley was closed after a pedestrian was hit by a vehicle this morning. According to the Mass DOT, Route 9 was closed in both directions between West Street and Wally Street. Police are investigating the incident.
State Senator John Velas announced over $1 million in funding for Westfield High School. The funding was included in the state's budget, which was passed earlier this summer. This will go toward improvements at the high school, including science labs, tennis courts, and school security. Velas also secured $5,000 for Westfield High School's Community Closet, which provides numerous students and families with clothing, food, and personal care items. The building which houses CNS Wholesale Grocers in Hatfield now has a new owner. Fox Rock 142 Elm Realty of Boston bought the large warehouse for $15.5 million. The Gazette reports that it's unknown if operations at CNS or its 1,000 employees in Hatfield will be affected by the sale. Many local farms and other businesses that suffered losses due to the extreme weather this summer will be eligible for loans through the U.S. Small Business Association. Economic injury disaster loans are available in response to the excessive heat and drought in the region. Eligible businesses include small businesses, both farm and non-farm related, small agricultural cooperatives, nurseries and nonprofit organizations in Franklin, Berkshire, Hamden and Hampshire counties. Loans may be applied for up to $2 million to pay debt, payroll, and other bills directly related to losses from the drought. Sunny, lovely this afternoon with a high of 64 to 68 in the light breeze. Mostly clear tonight, evening temperatures in the 50s, overnight low 38 to 44. Sun cloud mix warmer on Wednesday with a high of 70 to 74. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. The pipe creature will be there and the delicate giants. The clay masks, too. Plus, the toilet paper faces. Mummenschanz, the visual theater troupe, a Saturday afternoon at UMass. Mummenschanz celebrates 50 years with a performance of greatest hits and a peek at their future. Mummenschanz, resplendent on the big stage of the Frederick C. Tillis Performance Hall at UMass. Bizarre shapes and objects spring to life. Mummenschanz is pure joy for young and old alike. Witty madness, says the New York Times, dazzling and delightful. Get tickets at the UMass Fine Arts Center website. A Saturday afternoon with Mummenschanz, October 15th, 3 p.m. at UMass. 586-1000, good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you, until now. Now when you call, we'll answer, and if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it, and if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Grab your coat and get your hat. And we have much to talk about in the world of culture. We have our theater buff, our 
actor extraordinaire. Uh, <laughs> speaking of local, Jackie Walsh knows what's happening in the world of theater in this region. Hi, Jackie. Hey there, Buzz. Yeah, there's so, a ton going on, and I almost feel like I should speed read it, but I will not do that. So um, I wanted to start with The Majestic in West Springfield has Mama Mia running through October 23rd. I've heard it's excellent. I haven't been to The Majestic for a while, so I need to see that one. <clears throat> Edward Albee's Seascape is at the Unicorn in Stockbridge. That's a Berkshire Theater Group performance. Um, through October 23rd, it won the Pulitzer, and it's middle-aged couple who meet two lizards on a beach. One thing I noticed about today's list is most of the plays focus on women. That's an exception right there, but really, count on your fingers how many of these have to do with women. It's so interesting to me. Um, Shakespeare and Company is doing Golden Leaf Ragtime Blues in Lenox through October 30th. It is takes place in the 90s, post-L.A. riots, and it explores the unusual relationship between a black teenager and an aging Jewish vaudevillian through comedy and music. They are also doing Cadillac Crew through the 29th, about four female uh, civil rights activists working in a Virginia office the day of an important Rosa Parks speech. We also have the Flader Mouse, which is coming up November 5th through 13th at the gorgeous Academy of Music. Um, that's an opera, and the music is stellar. K&E Theater Group is doing the Wild Party, just a couple blocks from our studio um, at the Northampton Center for the Arts. It's an off-Broadway gem, um, and it has one of the most exciting pulse Racing scores ever written. Apparently, it's about a party to end all parties in Manhattan. Um, then we also have The Half-Life of Marie Curry at the Northampton Center for the Arts, November 3rd through 6th. Hampshire College is doing The Thin Place, uh, October 13th through the 16th, about ghosts, mediums, psychics, and a woman who is a big fan of all of those. The Radical and the Revolutionary is a conversation between Stacey Klein, founding artistic director of Double Edge, and independent producer Baraka Saleh. It's, I believe, I did not write down the date, but I think it's a Saturday. It's celebrating uh, Double Edge's 40th anniversary, and there's a meal served. This, I would say, is the most compelling for me. Mount Holyoke has is offering... The Sweet Science of Boxing, October 20th through 22nd. It's about the underground world of Victorian boxing. And it just reminds me the variety of things happening in this world and, and in theater. It's just incredible. There's an immersive theater event at the Shea, October 21st and 22nd, which features live music, dance, theater, sculpture, and more. Silverthorne Theater at Hawks and Reed in Greenfield is doing, I forgot to write down the title of the play. It's The Taming, that's it. It's about a woman in Georgia who wants to become the next Miss America. And Marvin's Room is happening in Westfield. The Westfield Theater Group is putting it on October 14th through the 22nd. It is a family drama and comedy. It touches on caregiving, 
sibling rivalry and teenage rebellion. It was staged um, in the 90s on Off-Broadway and in London's West End. It won some awards. And today we're happy that we have two actors from the play, Tracy Grammer, who plays Bessie, and Galana Chalimsky, who plays Lee. So welcome to both of you. Hello. Hi. Nice to be here. Great. So, Galana, tell me just generally about the play. What's it about, besides what I said? Um, so, <laughs> so Marvin's Room is about um, a family which is estranged, has been estranged for ooh, probably the better part of 20 years. Um, one sister, uh, Bessie, has been living with uh, their aging father and uh, their aging aunt and being the ter- caretaker, excuse me, um, and uh, Bessie encounters a health crisis and therefore has to reach out to her estranged sister and her sister's children. Um, and uh, yeah, it's about this family needing to come together to deal with uh these sort of health crises um, and at the same time sort of working through all the complications of family estrangement and uh, complicated relationships and complicated physical and mental health issues and things like that. So it's, yeah. And so you, you play Lee. So is she the daughter who is called in to help? Yeah, she is the estranged sister. She uh, she sort of went off, you know, 20-ish years before and sort of hasn't looked back until she gets the call from Bessie. Mm-hmm. And this, I mean, I think it's typical in our country where we spread all over the country as adults and, you know, maybe a sibling is still near the aging parents and then the others aren't. Uh, I know with my own family, three were in New Jersey where my mother was, and the other five were up here in Massachusetts. So, um, so Tracy, what about your character? So you're Bessie, the, the caretaker. Yeah, so um, so Bessie is in her supposed to be in her 40s, um, <laughs> and, and she has been caregiving for their father, who is bedridden, um, for the better part of 20 years. So if wow. you think about that, that is her entire adult life that she has given to this caregiving. Um, so she is single, she is childless, and she is somewhat resentful of the sacrifices that she has made. You know, one of the things she says in the play is, Dad's dying real slow. You know, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just like, he's just, you know, he's just there and, and it's not happening. Not that she wants it to. She, what she'll find out in the end is that caring for him is, one of the greatest gifts of her life. But but um, but when she is faced with a debilitating diagnosis, um, it shakes the foundation of their familiar rhythm, you know, of her caregiving, of all the promises that she's made and all the things that she knows to do. Um, and really, in the beginning, she just feels like she doesn't have time to be sick. You know, can't we, you know, are you sure that's what it is? Are you sure it's not a vitamin deficiency? <laughs> that kind of thing. Mm. And when when she gets the bad news, that's when she has to reach out to Lee, and their very awkward, um, uh, you know, um, reunion is is at the center of this play. As is the relationship between Lee and her son Hank, who has been institutionalized after a wave of arson. So, mm-hmm. 
Um, Bessie's, what's interesting about Bessie for me is that, um, you know, in with each character, she's kind of a different person, just like we are in real life. You know, mm. when you go to the doctor, you don't talk the same as you do to your sister or to your to your dad or to your dog or whatever. So um, one of the challenges of the role is has been to 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 find the through line, but also be a little bit, you know, chameleon-like and um, in all the different relationships that Bessie has in this play. Mm-hmm. So, Galana, tell, I'm intrigued that this is a group that puts on, I think, one play a year in Westfield at the Women's Club on Court Street. What is the venue? Is it a town hall theater? So um, they actually put on um, at least two and sometimes three shows. Um, oh, okay. They, yeah, the women's uh, so the Westfield Theater Group operates out of the women's club, um, which is uh, basically the theatrical space is um, a stage in a large room that has uh, movable chair seating um, on the main floor, and then um, there are some chairs uh, or some sort of seats uh, in a balcony area. Um, which are not mm-hmm. so, always available. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about this more after the break. We are talking to two actors from Marvin's Room, which is going to be performed in the Westfield um, Women's Club uh, October 14th through October 22nd. Happy talk, keep talking, happy talk. Talk about things you'd like to do. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. So this is Massachusetts way of saying, we think it's an important program. We think it's important enough to continue for students and their families. And we're going to put the money up front to make sure it continues so that if the federal government does not renew it, Massachusetts will still have universal school meals. 1015, 1400 and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Why work for just any hospital when you can work for Cooley Dickinson Hospital in Northampton? Cooley Dickinson Hospital is the winner of the Best Local Choice Award by the Daily Hampshire Gazette's 2022 Reader's Choice Awards. And right now, they're offering a $10,000, yes, a $10,000 sign-on bonus for inpatient and emergency department nurses. Don't wait. Apply online today at cooleydickinson.org. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday local burgers and fries? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Local burgers and fries, spiked milkshakes and more. It's not fast food, it's good food. Fast. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. A food co-op is a different kind of grocery store. A credit union is a different kind of bank. Co-ops and credit unions are owned by the people who shop and bank there. Keep it close to home with local co-ops, credit unions, and worker-owned co-ops. Stop at the Old Creamery Co-op on Route 9. For hot mulled cider, a press-grilled sandwich on house-made focaccia, something sweet from our bakery, or what you need to make dinner. Stop at the shop with the cow on top. The Old Creamery Co-op. 
And today, I'm convening this conference because I believe we can use these advances to do even more to make America stronger and a healthier nation, to achieve ambitious goals and hunger in this country by the year 2030. This is a big deal. The President of the United States just announced to the world that ending hunger and promoting better nutrition in this country is a national priority. I think that's a good plan, and I think we can do it. Meanwhile, our neighbors have to eat today. The Food Bank of Western Mass is there for the over 100,000 neighbors who rely on emergency food each month. And if you want to help support the Food Bank of Western Mass, you can join the March for the Food Bank 13 Thanksgiving week. The federal government is making moves when it comes to fighting hunger, and the Food Bank itself is making moves. From Hatfield to Chicopee, you can move with us locally as we march from Springfield to Northampton on day one and Northampton to Greenfield on day two. March yourself, start a team, virtually march. Get involved, make some moves. Monty's March 13, making moves. Monday and Tuesday, November 21st and 22nd. Sign up now at montysmarch.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back. It is Playbill with Jackie Walsh, and she has uh, two performers in Marvin's Room, which is being done by Westfield Theater Group. And uh, we were just introduced to Tracy, who plays uh, Bessie. Um, and the, the character of Bessie, the, the pain of, of that, that you described in Bessie's taking care of an aging parent and only to find and, and sacrificing so much of she's childless she doesn't have a romantic relationship in order to maintain her her aging parents health and then she finds out that she has this dreadful diagnosis herself i'm just wondering how you inhabit it, a character like that do you have to draw upon personal experience to go that deep into yourself you really do i mean um I, I studied the actress Patty Clarkson for a while just because I thought her roles were so diverse and fascinating. And one thing that she always said was um, that uh, you should bring the character as close to home as possible, draw from your own experience as much as possible. And in my case, um, in 2002, I, I'm a musician, that's mainly what I'm known as, and I was touring with a partner at the time. We'd been working together for six years, and while we were on the road, he passed away from a heart attack. And after that happened, um, I made it my job to sort of be the caretaker for his legacy of music. And so for a number of years, it's been 20 years now, um, but for a number of those years, I exclusively played his music. And in doing so, um, I, I, I found that, you know, I would get into relationships and people didn't want to be with someone who was singing a dead guy's song. You know, they, they didn't want to be around that. And so I, I missed out on relationships, opportunities, children, things of this nature, in part because I was so dedicated to preserving my musical partner's legacy because I thought it was brilliant. I thought it needed to be out there. I thought it was important. I was doing, as Bessie is doing, what I thought the right thing was, you know, um, and so, so I'm pulling from that experience to find the places where Bessie has resentments, where she feels a little lost, where she feels lonely, where she's frustrated with the way her life has turned out, but she also can't see that she could have done anything differently because she did what she thought was right. So, and that's pretty much my story too. So, wow, what a deep characterization that is, Jackie. Mm. So, Galana. Um, 
I'm sitting here thinking in, in uh, most cultures and, and in our country as well that um, this is a pretty normal part of life to take care of your parents um, as, as they age and um, in the last few years. So um, do you have anything to say about that? Does that connect to the play in any way? Um, well, I mean... I think that I mean. <laughs> so, I speaking as the the character who very specifically chose not to be involved in that. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, my 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 character certainly does not uh, does not think that that is uh, her job or her responsibility. But um, I think that um, I, I think that the themes of uh, you know. The thing, the, the the themes of sort of caretaking and what it means to be a member of a family, what it means to be an active member of a family, um, are very relevant to um, our show, both in the sense of caring for aging relatives, also in the sense of what it means to be a parent. Um, Bessie's care, uh, Bessie is childless, but Lee has two children. Um, one of whom in particular she has a very strained relationship with. So it's a question, I think the show is a lot about what does it mean to be a child of an aging parent? What does it mean to be a parent to a difficult child? What does it mean to be sisters uh, or siblings who are very different personalities and have different wishes and desires and things like that? Mm -hmm. What does and, it mean to be an active member of a family? Right. And all of us have so many of those relationships. So um, right. I think maybe it's time to sh shift to the comedy part of the play. Um, <laughs> there is a lot of comedy and, and um, Galana, so tell us how you or the director have um, found ways to pull the comedy out of the script. So um, the the writer did put in a number of uh, very sort of comedic lines um, or lines which can be delivered in a comedic way. But I think really what it boils down to is just the fact that um, this is an unbelievably realistic show and it's a very human show and a very human experience and humans are funny humans are silly humans are weird um and sometimes uh so i think a lot of the humor does come from um our characters um aging and slightly dotty um aunt um but also just you know things like late night conversations between sisters you know you you get into sort of silly giggles and things like that. So I think a lot of the humor just comes from even in the middle of really tough circumstances, humans are funny and humans, particularly when they love each other, can be goofy together. Right. So we are talking to two actresses from Westfield Theater Group's Marvin's Room, which is playing October 14th, 15th, 21st, 22nd. Um, those are the evening shows, and then a matinee on October 22nd, it's family drama and comedy. So, Tracy, if someone wanted to read up on the play and get tickets, where would they go? Um, there's a website, westfieldtheatergroup.com, and that is theater with the T-R-E, 
so the the fancy spelling, westfieldtheatergroup.com. They've got information there, synopses, um, cast lists, the ticket link, um, and more about um, what the theater group is producing as well. Mm-hmm. Great. One more reason to go to Westfield. I love that there are so many talents in our area where you can go see theater. Thank you so much for coming in. This was this was fun. Thank, Thank you, you so Jack. Yeah, just before we break, just we only have a minute left. Uh, I just—it's a big question, but uh, do you expect to be conveying life skills or life lessons to people? Will this resonate for people in their own lives? I don't know. Whichever one of you wants to take that question in one minute. Yeah, yeah. I think I think what our characters are really contending with at the end of the day is how to do the right thing for themselves and for one another. And I think that the challenges that unfold in this play are going to show them the way. And so, honestly, I can't imagine anyone who wouldn't benefit from what I perceive to be a very heart-forward story. Um, Well, there you go. It is Martin's Room. It's at the Westfield Theater Group. Uh, It sounds like a very, uh, it's a very compelling description. And I hope you both, what do I say, break a leg? Break a leg. (laughs) Break a leg. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank everybody for joining us today on this beautiful afternoon. Have a great evening, and we'll be back tomorrow to talk with you at 4 o'clock. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. It would be so nice to come home to. How long and how hard would you work to own your own home? At Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity, future homeowners contribute dozens of hours to build a home for their family, but they need your help. Thousands of community supporters have participated in this work since 1989. They create a partnership with a future homeowner and Habitat to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Grab a hammer, lend a hand, build a better world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity, pvhabitat.org. Have you heard of the Living Building Challenge? The Hitchcock Center for the Environment in Amherst invites you to explore a revolutionary new kind of building, generating its own electricity and using only water collected on site from rain. The Hitchcock Center is our region's first public environmental education center, demonstrating the highest standard of sustainable design. Come visit us. The Hitchcock Center, 845 West Street in Amherst. For more information, visit hitchcockcenter.org. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 5 o'clock.